We're going to be looking in uh, Exodus chapter 2 today at a familiar story about a determined mother. And it's a story that if uh, once we even start looking at it, everybody's going to say, oh yeah, I know that story. And I think a lot of little kids could come up here and explain to you the story about Moses. And when he was, uh, he had, they had to hide him, he was stuck in a little basket out in the water, and then the princess came and found baby Moses, and then he became her son. Very familiar story. But today we're going to look at it from the viewpoint of the mother and how she was determined. So let me, uh, yeah, how she was determined. Uh, Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We'll read through this, and then we'll start going through it. It says, Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket along the reeds and sent her slaves to get it for her. She opened it, and she saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of water. Now, when you read through that story, did anybody recognize Moses' mom's name or dad's name? No, it, no, it's a trick question, because it wasn't listed in there. So I had to do a little research and find out that in Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, you find out that his dad's name was Amram, and his mom's name was Jochebed. So I might throw those names out there. I just want you to know who I'm talking about. And the first thing we see, that mom was determined. She was determined that she was going to fear God over what man commanded her to do. In uh it was illegal for her to have a son. And you're probably familiar with the story that the, that the Pharaoh, he did not like, he, he, they took over the Israelite people. He did not like the fact that they were having sons, so he wanted to take care of it. Exodus verses 1 through 15 and 16. <clears throat> it says, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, When you help the Hebrew women in childbirth, <clears throat> And observe them on the delivery stool. If it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. So the king wants to get rid of it. He doesn't want to deal with it. He just wants the midwives. As soon as this baby's born, if it's a girl, celebrate. If it's a boy, that's the end. Well, they, all these boys kept being born. And they, they, Pharaoh's asking these women, why is this happening? And they said, well, because they're more vigorous than us. They have their babies a lot quicker than we do. And by the time we get there, uh, these, these babies are born. So he says, okay, we're going we're gonna to take care of this problem. Every boy that's born needs to be thrown into the Nile. And, and that will solve it all. Verse 21, uh, verse 22, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all these people. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but every girl let her live. And so it is totally illegal for her to have this baby. So she's hiding him for, for three days, and while she's do, or for, for three months. And while she's doing this, she's taking risks. I mean, it doesn't say in the story, but if a king is willing to kill off all these little baby boys, he's not going to care about one woman who disobeys. So 
Well, she, he's risking her life, or she's risking her own life. She's risking being put in jail. She's risking punishment. She's risk, risking being made an example of in order to stop this from happening. But she's also risking more because she has two other kids. She has a daughter, who you find in the story, who's watching everything that's going on. And then there's this three-year-old little, little boy named Aaron, who's also part of her family. And so she's risking not just her own life, she's risking Moses' life, she's risking her other kids' lives. And there's a lot of people who said, that's just too much risk, I don't want anything to do with it. But that's what she's doing. And why is she doing this? Why is she going against the king's commands? Why is she risking so much? We find in this story, but also in Hebrews 11.23, that she feared God over man. It says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, obviously, there's a little bit of fear there because they're not running around saying, hey, look, neener, neener, I had a boy and I don't care what you think. They're hiding this baby. They want to keep this baby and they're trying to keep it hush, hush, which is going to be a difficult task because there's not sheetrock on the walls. There's not windows. There's not insulation that's going to block the sounds. The way their houses were built, you know, you got this, you got a hole for a window, and you, got to, you can put like wood or something to try to shutter it, to tr- stop it, but noise is going to carry through very easily. So this is a very difficult task. If you were to hide a baby, today you could stick him in the basement, and, you know, most people aren't going to know anything. But back then, it was a great big task that she had. But she said, I feared God over what man thinks. And mothers, this is mainly directed at you, even though this will eventually apply to all of us, we, we, meaning you, need to make sure that you fear God over what man thinks. Now, there is a point where you've got to submit to the authorities. In uh, Romans 13, 1, it says that God has put all the authority on earth, and we're supposed to submit to it. But there's a point where you decide, where you say, no longer am I going to obey what man thinks, because I'm more concerned about what God thinks. And then in the reading about our missionary today, um, I underlined part of it, but it says, um, it says, though there is some uncertainty concerning a law that is passed last summer calling for tighter restrictions on missionary and evangelism. That's one of the times where you say, I don't care what the law says, because otherwise there's, there's going to no, there's gonna be no missionaries anymore because the laws are getting such to where it's illegal to be a Christian. It's illegal to tell people about Jesus. And so there's a point where you say, no longer am I going to follow the authorities of man because it conflicts with what God says in his word. And you find this example in Acts chapter 5. Peter and the other apostles are doing miracles, and they're telling people about Jesus. And the whole bunch of them gets thrown into jail. Well, the angel in the middle of the night comes and lets them out in Acts chapter 5. And they go back to doing what they're doing. And the same people who threw them in jail the first time come and talk to them. And in Acts 5.29... It says we must obey God rather than man. As long as God, man's law doesn't conflict with God's law, it's okay. But when it comes down to the two, you've got to choose what God's law says. Now, obviously, you li- we listen to this, and our situations are completely different. None of us is having a baby boy that's got to be thrown into the Nile because the king says get rid of it. None of us is preaching and doing miracles and getting stuck in prison and having and an angel letting us out and letting us come back out to share God's word. So what does this possibly have to do with us? How does a mother today choose to fear God over what man thinks? Well, first of all, as you probably know, it's not easy. It's not easy to choose what, God, what man thinks 
it's not easy to choose what God thinks over man. Because uh, man is very vocal about what they think. You can read their facial expressions. You can hear that they're talking about you. You know what they're saying. But God, he doesn't do anything. Uh, today's, today's Mother's Day, and we, had, we have all the baby bottles in the back. And that's for, uh, to, to help raise money for the, the crisis pregnancy center so that they can coach women on, hey, let's not have an abortion. Let's keep this baby alive. Uh, I don't know where I was going with that anymore. Uh, anyway, the world's going to say it's okay to get rid of that little life. If a, if a girl comes in here and she, she's pregnant and she's not married, there's going to be a lot of people uh, that are going to be looking down on that, and it's easy to just try to hide that. Just, just get the quick abortion, and everything's done, and nobody knows, as opposed to all the shame and the guilt of, of everybody knowing exactly what you did. But choosing to fear what uh, God over man is going to say, you know what, I'm going to face up to the responsibility of having this little baby, and I'm, I'm going to choose, choose God and what he wants as opposed to what man thinks. But man's going to be very vocal. God, God doesn't speak from the clouds and say, hey, I know what you did, Josh, or you chose what they thought of or what I thought you should do. He's very silent. Sometimes he feels very far away. And you can lose friends if you choose to fear God over man. So as far as mothers, if you're going to choose to fear God over man, it's not going to always be easy. You know, you might be doing what's best for somebody, for your child, and they don't even realize it. You know, it might, you know baby Moses... At this point, when he's in the, the in our mother's his mother's arms and she's rocking him back and forth, he has no idea what's what's coming. He has no idea that someone wants to kill him. He has no idea that he's going to be stuck in a basket and shipped off to the Egyptians. But mother's doing what's best. And mothers, we need to do the same thing today. And it's part of your job description. It's not the best part of your job description, but it's one of your job descriptions. It might be the fact that, hey, sorry, kiddo, you cannot go to that party this weekend because those, that crowd has a reputation that I don't want my child associated with. They may kick and scream and say, Mom, that's not fair, and you used to do the same thing, and every kind of excuse under the sun, but your job as a mother is to look out for them and what's best for them and say, no, I'm sorry, honey, you're not going to go. It might be the fact that they have a curfew. No one else has a curfew, but you have a curfew. It might be that you can't watch that movie or listen to that music or read that book. Everybody else gets to, but I don't get to. They're not gonna, they may not necessarily like that. And the last one is, uh, you can't date that boy or that girl. How come, Mom, we're just a date. We're not getting married. We're just going out to the prom. We're just going out to dinner. We're just going out to a movie. Uh, that, that's looking out for their best interest. Now, not everything in the Bible has an exact answer for every situation you're going to face. Uh, you know, when it comes to, like, the dating the non-Christian, it says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Now, like I said, they're going to say, Mom, I'm not marrying the boy. I'm not going to marry this girl. We're just going out for a good time. But you know where uh, dating leads to, uh, I get really attached, and where I say, all of a sudden, I don't care what God thinks because I love this guy, and he asked me to marry him. Maybe I can save him after we get married. And then, who knows where life goes? So you gotta start. You gotta stop at the dairy start before anything gets going anywhere. Now Moses' mom was determined that she was going to choose God over man, but she was also determined to be the best mom that she could be. She was determined to do whatever it took 
to be a good mother. In verses one through, or chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we hear this word a lot. We hear this word, she, she, she. Three, three major times, some of them are just part of the story, but it says, Now man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she gave, became pregnant, which obviously is just women, and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him. She hid him for three months. Uh, she got, when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket, uh, for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed a child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. So she's doing uh, lots of things. She's hiding him. She's trying to, to make the, the way to protect him. And she is also, uh, she's also watching him. She's also setting him in the Nile because that's the next step that she needs to do. But she's the one doing a lot of different things. Now, her husband, Amram, he's not a slouch. He's not a guy who's just saying, I don't care what's going on, you just take care of it. He's a guy who's just become a slave because in Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 14, it says there was this new, this new king that came in who didn't know anything about Joseph. And he, uh, he says the Israelites are becoming so many that they're going to join with the enemy and they're going to fight against us and take over our land. And so we've got to make these guys slaves. And so all of, all of Israel, all the men became the slaves of Egypt. And so at this point, he's not home very often to try to help hide the kid, to help make the basket, to help plant my kid in order to take care of him. He's doing the best that he can, but he has to rely on his wife. And I don't think it's just like, well, I got that choice and nothing else. I think he really does trust her. I think she was a very trustworthy person who did a lot. She, I mean, if, uh, because his life and his reputation... Uh, relied on her. Because if she was to, to let them hear the baby, everybody's in trouble. His, his, his workload might increase. Their whole family might die. He just had to trust her for how that was going to turn out. And he wanted his baby to survive just as much as she did. But he had to trust her. And so she did a lot. Now when she, when she placed his baby in the Nile, uh, the Nile from like beginning to end is somewhere around 4,130 miles depending on the source that you, you look at. Now, when she just stuck the basket out there, she didn't just take this basket and go, here you go, little guy, I hope I wish you the best. She, she had to do her homework. I mean, because she took it to the place where the princess was going to be at with her maidens, that, where she was bathing. And so they, it's either this is information that everybody knew. I mean, everybody in the whole Egypt and all the Israelites knew that that's the place you go. And that's it. Or she had to do her homework. She had to figure out this is the exact time of day or which day of the week because I take a shower every day. Back then, they did not take a shower every day because they didn't have showers. They didn't have hot water. You'd have to go down and you'd have to, you could rinse off your hands and your face. You could be washing your clothes. But you had to go down to a, a source like the Nile in order to do that. So that wasn't something that was on everybody's to-do list every day because it wasn't something everybody enjoyed. So she had to know when was this, when was this princess going to be here? Because I need to put my baby in the basket. It's like this big. I mean, this is a dinky little thing that's halfway floating in the water. It's got all these reeds around it. Who's going to see that? It's not just this absent-minded thought. She had to stick it right where she knew this princess was going to be. Or the best chance that she had in order for this, this princess to find this baby, which was, was when they actually found the baby. Because the baby's crying. Got, it's got the basket on it. You can't hear it. So there's just nothing about this that says, look at me. But 
you know, she didn't want everybody to see it. She, it was, she was risking that the, the guards could have seen it, that there's some animal that could have took it, that the current but it could have been too strong, and taking it down the Nile. And so she's risking a lot in order to make this happen. But she also has lots of other duties that, that she had to take care of every day, other responsibilities. She had to tend the garden. She had small animals to deal with. She was producing their clothes and their food. In that society, the, the wife had to take care of all the kids. And so she's got this daughter that she says, I can leave with Moses, but I've also got this three-year-old son. And we all know three-year-old kids and how fun they are and how much they get into things. So it's not like you're going to sit there quietly with a three-year-old watching this Nile, this little basket on the Nile, hoping that the princess sees and doesn't see you. And so there's, there's this a lot that she's got going on all at the same time. She's, she's juggling. She's doing a lot of things. And that's a lot like mothers today. You guys have lots and lots of jobs. And I know there's lots of women here who, who have a job outside the home as opposed to the things they do in the house. But a short list of the things mothers do is they're a housekeeper, uh, cooks, uh, daycare teacher. When you have little kids, you're trying to train them how to know their colors and that kind of thing. Even like when they get their homework after school, you know, trying to, to be a teacher that way. Taking care of the laundry, being a taxi cab driver, being a nurse. That's one of the, my least favorite things possible to do because like, uh, you can't screw up uh, cooking that bad and laundry that bad, but when it comes to like blood and that kind of thing, that's, that turns your stomach. Uh, also, they're janitors, psychologists, uh, and facility managers. They're in charge of lots of things, lots of things you do every day, and it's mundane, and a lot of things that, like, like here, it's like, if you don't know what a mother's doing, you don't know because they make it look so easy and so obvious. And how many of us dads are glad that we don't have to do all that? I mean, I, my kids are glad, yeah. I'm glad I don't have to cook. I'm glad the, the laundry's done. I'm glad that I don't have to try to do with the nurse kinds of things. But what about the other things that are important in life? What about being the mentor to your child? Is your child the kind of kid that says, hey, mom, and, mom I'm going to come up and say, tell you what I'm struggling with. And I know working with junior high and high school, when it gets older, it gets more awkward to tell your parents certain things because I've seen that. But as your kid, if they really need you, do they feel like, mom, I can come up and tell you anything? Or what about uh, being a spiritual mentor to them? To tell them that they have a crisis in their life, they don't know what to do. Are you, do we give them just worldly advice? Like this is what I found on YouTube or, or on Google or this is something straight out of the Bible, because it's, or, or my, what my friends have told me, or what I've did in the past. We, we, it's great to give them mentorship and counsel, but we've got to make sure that we're giving them the right one, the right kind of counsel that they need. Like I mentioned earlier, not every situation in the Bible is listed. It doesn't talk about speeding in the Bible. It doesn't talk about the internet in the Bible. It doesn't talk about uh, playing baseball or running track in the Bible. But there's enough truth in the Bible that you can apply to every situation. Your kids that are hanging out with those ornery kids, and you, you don't like that, and you don't want them to do that. You know what's not good. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good morals. Could you tell your child that? that that's why? It's because the people you're hanging out with aren't that great, and I want to keep you protected. Or your, your son or daughter is making bad decisions. They're making bad decisions about their job, about school, about uh, the people that they hang out with. Uh, Galatians 6, 7, and 8 talks about uh, you reap what you sow. 
I mean, it's just the way it is. If you're hanging out with those kinds of people, you're going to become like them. I was telling Noah the other day that uh, in Proverbs, they talked about hanging out with hot-tempered people. Because when you hang out with them, you become like them. I mean, I know there's this idea of you want to reach everybody and you want to be friends with everybody, but there's also a point where you've got to say, I'm choosing what God says about I'm going to reap what I sow over what I want to do. Uh, anyway, there's, there's, the Bible is just full of situations that aren't exactly the same, but they were meant to, these situations were meant to be applied to our lives. So the third thing was this mother was determined not to give up on her kid. Uh, I mean, she, she, she could have right off the bat said, well, this is a boy, I know the headache, I don't, I don't want to deal with it, I don't want to risk my life, I'm just going to get rid of him and not take care of him. I'm going to leave him on a basket on somebody's doorstep and just hope that things work out. She, she didn't do that. She says, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight all the way through. I'm going to risk my life for three months as long as I can, and then I'm going to make this basket, and then I'm going to put him out there, and then it gets even better than that because after Moses grew up, you find out that Moses didn't just stay an Egyptian because Moses, he had the prime example to do that. Uh, his mother, I think, was a very honorable, a very noble person. Because when she got her baby back, she got him back for about uh, almost three years. Because when the Egyptian uh, daughter asked her to nurse the baby, it wasn't until about the age of three. So you have uh, like two years and nine months that she gets to hold this baby. And she gets to learn to help him walk and learn to help him speak and hear the, the little cute little gaga baby sounds and sleeping through the night and all the special things that happen for a baby. And this, this mother, she, she was gonna, she's going to turn around and say, okay, three years is up, here's this baby. And this was a baby that she didn't name. I mean, if you look in this passage, it doesn't ever say his baby, is, his name is Moses until you get to the Egyptian, uh, the Egyptian, uh, the Pharaoh's daughter naming him Moses because she drew him out of water. How hard would that be? You have this kid for three years, and you're raising him like your own, and then turn around and give him to somebody else who just gets to change his name and gets to raise him in all the ways of the Egyptians. Everything that, that she had as a mother was paled in comparison to what he was going to get. The education, the food, the, the housing experience, going to a palace from a little shack is going to be really difficult because you think my kid's going to give up everything because of look what he gets to have. So he's getting a better lifestyle, but he's also getting trained in the, the ways of Moses. And I mean, Moses is getting trained in the way of the Egyptians. In Acts chapter 7, you find that he, he got trained with their schooling and in the, in the ways of the teachings of the Egyptian people. Acts chapter 7, verses 20 to 27. It says, At that time Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her very own. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So not only did he hear their teachings, I think he was encouraged to believe their, way, their, their religious ways. These are our gods. These are who we worship. And he was probably getting taught all these different things. But you find that he said, I'm not going to stick with that. He decided, at, it, we find in Hebrews, that he gave all that up. He said, I'm going to choose to go the way of the Israelites. Now, why would a kid do that? Why would he grow up his whole life and choose, ignore the life of luxury to follow this life of God, of being a slave, of, of misery? 
I think, and I'm going to say because it's Mother's Day, that his mother has a lot to do with it. Now, she didn't get, I don't think, weekend visits or any kind of special rights to see him as often as she wanted. He was raised as the Pharaoh's daughter's son. He got everything that she could give him, and it's like kind of a separation between the Israelites and the Egyptians. But mom, I think, she prayed for him probably every day. I think whenever she had opportunities to see him, she was always trying to instill in him the, the good news about God. Because at three years old, I mean, there's kids who say, hey, I trusted Jesus as my Savior when I was three. And that's great, but I can't remember what I did when I was 11. You know, I just, there are certain events in my life, but there's so much that you forget up until that age that I'm thinking she could only tell him so much that he could understand about God. So I think throughout his whole life, every chance she saw him, she instilled God into his life at every opportunity that she had. I don't think she ever gave up on him because she feared God over man. Going against the Egyptian teachings, the Egyptian mom that he now has is a very risky thing to do. But mom was determined. And I want to encourage you moms today to be determined. Be determined. I know that's easier said than done. I know patience runs short. I know it's hard to run out of hope with our kids that they're ever going to stop or they're ever going to get it. But don't let it stop you. Be determined. We all understand what it's like to, to be determined. We want our kids to succeed in school. We want our kids to succeed in sports and activities and, and with their friends and every possible thing in life. If they get a job, we want them to succeed. But what about the spiritual things? We've got to make sure that we are determined to make sure that they succeed in those areas as well. So be determined to choose God over man. Be determined to never give up on your kids and be determined to be the best mom that you can be in whatever situation you are put in with your kids. Now, all that does not just apply to mothers. Everybody else who's not a mother, if you're like mother age and beyond, like young down to three, or you're a guy that's never going to be a mother, all this applies to you too, just like it applies to me. We need to choose to fear God over what man thinks. When it comes down to the choice of man or God, we've got to choose God. We need to be faithful with whatever task we are given at work, at, at home, with, uh, out, out in public. Whatever task God puts before us, we need to be faithful with that. And we need to be faithful to not give up on praying. We have nephews and nieces. We have our own kids. We have kids that help. They come to Awana, kids around the neighborhood. Uh, we have uh, brothers and sisters in, that need the Lord. Don't ever give up on anybody. Keep trusting God and keep being determined to, to pray for them. Now, everybody in here that is a kid, give your parents a break. They are not perfect, okay? Now, when they're trying to be determined to choose to put God first and you don't like it, say, I'm going to trust my parent anyway. And all, and all of us, now we can look back to even my own life and look back and say, oh, that's why mom was so hard on me. That's why I didn't get to go to that party. That's why I didn't get to hang out with that friends or be involved in that activity because mom was trying to put God first over everything else in my life. Moms, you're doing a good job. I mean, as far as I can tell, I want to encourage you to keep up the good work, keep putting God first, and make sure that we never give up on our kids because it doesn't matter if they got one year left to live or that they got 50 years left to live. God can always answer a prayer even after we're gone. Let's pray.